Welcome to the Financial MD Show. This is the only podcast designed specifically for residents and young physicians to help you become educated on financial planning for physicians and avoid many of the common financial mistakes doctors make. Your hosts, John and Trevor, explore a different topic with each episode. John Salitro is a financial planner and certified financial education instructor. He's been working with young physicians for the better part of a decade and lectures to graduate medical programs around the country. Dr. Trevor Smith is a board-certified ophthalmologist with a full-time practice, and he has learned the ins and outs firsthand, what it takes to make smart financial decisions as a young physician. And now, here's your hosts, John and Trevor. Right. Welcome to the Financial MD Show, episode 17. We've got a little bit of a surprise for you today. It's a follow-up from our last show where we discussed investing in startups. And we thought, what better way than to get you an actual conversation with someone in the venture capital world, uh, the funding, the startup world, none other than Ruben Levinson. You know him, you love him, and you're going to hear him talk specifically about what he's doing with Washington Avenue Ventures Uh, what to watch out for, what to know when you're looking for startups, and just some good info, whether you're getting into it now or you hope to get into it someday. So please leave a review. It helps more young physicians find this show and get some good financial information. Listen up. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of the Financial MD Show. Today we have your normal hosts, me, John Salitro, and Dr. Trevor Smith in the house. What's up, Trevor? What's up, what's up? Right on. And uh, today's show, we've got a special guest with us who is kind of a guest, is kind of a host. He's been a friend of Financial MD for a long time. Uh, Mr. Ruben Levinson is here to help us get into some more... Uh, personal examples and stories and some specialized expert uh, insight into what we started last episode. Um, so today is part two of talking about startups. How you doing, Ruben? Good, John. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. <clears throat> Absolutely. We're stoked. Um, Trevor and I have known Ruben for quite a while and we're all buddies outside of this and uh, enjoy a good bourbon from time to time. Um, but we'll be just drinking virtually right now although none of us are drinking i don't think um, i'd like to just coffee <laughs> right <clears throat> that's kind of made me think about that why don't i have any bourbon around here but oh well another mm-hmm. problem for another time okay so last week we started startups and there's a lot of conversation and has been for years frankly of as the internet has made tech startups more more common more prevalent more well known um, and profitable for a lot of people and <clears throat> bankrupting for a lot of people. And um, last week, Trevor and I dove deeply into what some of the downsides are from our standpoint. Me as a financial planner, um, Trevor as definitely a uh, financially experienced and knowledgeable individual, but he's had some of his own experiences with that and still does. We got to talk a little bit about some of the things we know. And as I talk to clients about um a lot of our physicians bring ideas or want to get into things or hear some other doctor at the water cooler talking about this or that or read something online or in a Facebook post or all sorts of things. Um, 
we went into that into our last episode, but today we thought we would talk with Ruben, <clears throat> who was one of the founders and partners of Washington Avenue Ventures, um, a Michigan-based, uh, would you say a venture capital firm or a venture, how would you describe it, Ruben? Yeah, we're a venture studio. It's a newer term here in the States. It's certainly a newer term in the Midwest, but it came out of uh, uh, Europe more. I think there's a lot more of it there, but it's Venture Studios, we connect that space, that kind of black hole or abyss between angel investors and VCs. Because a lot of a lot of these startups think they go right from an angel round to a venture capital round, and it's not that simple. They're not they're not always ready. So the mm-hmm. the other thing that's a little different, like there's accelerators and incubators out there that usually last for a couple months that these startups can apply and get themselves into. And those are great, but they're a couple months and then they're on their own again. So we're the venture studio. We partner with early stage companies, startups, and even sometimes pre-seed before they've even had revenue and work with them to help build that solid business foundation. So they've got something they can scale off of. And we also, I would say that we're really good at helping uh, tee them up better or package them up so they're investable before they go out for those investment rounds. Perfect. So it's not only maybe connecting them with money, but also maybe even more importantly, getting them ready for that point and just taking, uh, I mean, kind of an incubator, but also more of a facilitator, a support, uh, um, consulting, would you say? Yeah, we're definitely on there. I, mean, I usually hold a seat on their advisory team, uh, whether it's formal or informal. I'm usually one of their go-to advisors for Anything to do with fundraising, legal, finance, cash flow, forecasting, cap table management. Um, I just got up a call with, with one of our founders and we're setting them up on our system to manage their cap table so they always know what the notes, convertible notes and everything. Because these guys are brilliant. These founders we work with are brilliant at whatever they're doing, but they generally haven't had a lot of this basic business experience. and. Yeah. And they, they don't realize until it's too late how critical that is. And then they start having meetings with investors. Investors are asking questions that these guys have never heard of. And we, we fill in those gaps for them really well. Okay. Um, Trevor, you got any questions off the bat? Yeah, I'm curious. Like, how did you first, what, like, what was your first experience uh, in the startup world? Like, were you already working with the same studio group? Um, mm. I mean, how long have you been doing it? What what got you interested in it? Just tell me a little bit about like the beginning of your story. Well, so if I went way back, it starts with just having an entrepreneur in my blood. Like at nine, 10 years old, I was running uh, the biggest paper route in the area by having my brother and all his friends do all the work. And I was just running <laughs> the, the business. Um, so I started, I told that story to some entrepreneur uh, groups at the local university here, but I, I think it's just entrepreneurialism in the blood first and foremost. And then um, I've launched and, and exited my own companies. A couple had one, my most successful one was around my late twenties when I uh, exited my painting franchise and that did pretty well. And then from there, it was more um, starting to angel invest here about, Seven, eight years ago, um, I'd say right around four, late 30s, early 40s, I started realizing like I'm probably not going to be the entrepreneur who's going to found and launch a bunch more companies. And if I can't do that, 
the only other thing that keeps me in the game is doing it, investing in others or advising others who are doing it and working off their energy and their brilliance. So that's angel investing, I guess. Um, so I just informally, I was angel investing. I made my first angel investment, my first official angel investment in a Denver based company. Probably let's see, that was 2015 ish, maybe 2014. And, um, that one failed and you learn a lot on the failure and you can look back and say like that one, what did I do wrong? Um, that one for me was pretty easy to identify years later is that I invested in a founder who didn't know how to build a team or was just not a good leader. And so from there I start selecting better and you start learning and there's a lot of things you wish you, you could go to school for this and learn um, and I'm sure there's a ton of great resources I'm not aware of, but I've learned a lot of it just by making my own mistakes, generally how I learned most of my stuff in life. So I started inform- informally angel investing, you know, 25000 here and there. Um, you take a couple hits on those and you're like, okay, if I'm going to be in this game, I got to I gotta play it better. And so a few years ago, I formalized it with Washington Adventures where we I was starting to realize the reason these most of these were failing were not always just that the person didn't have the drive or didn't have the leadership skills. It was also they just did not have good business background, business experience, the basic business functions, you know, whether it's accounting or finance or legal, they just didn't have any of that experience. So they could be a brilliant software engineer who can solve some pretty big problems, but didn't know how to build a foundation of a business or maintain that. So I um reached out to Angie, someone I had worked with for years in the past. She had her MBA and she was running a pretty big division of a large corporate company in Grand Rapids. And she was looking for a change. She wanted to go back in a small business. And I said, how about we go really small? Let's work with startups. They need need more than money. They need our expertise. So let's put together a, a team that can help advise and help them build solid companies. And that's what we've been doing for the last three years. Uh, we, we've gone really deep with one company that we took on at pre-seed stage, and we've got a, half a dozen other companies that we're advising and working with now, too. So I, it was to answer the question full circle there, Trevor, it was informal angel investing and realizing you can throw checks at these and be a passive investor and have a high likelihood of loss, or you can increase your chance of return by actually working with these companies that you're investing in. So. Um, all of them that we work with, I've made a personal investment or we've made a, uh, an investment as a venture team into them financially. But more importantly, it's the investment of time and expertise we're putting in. Mm-hmm. Nice. And what? So, uh, <clears throat> go ahead. Well, I'm gonna, I was going to dig deeper into some of the people investing in the startups, but I want to finish yours, Trevor. Uh, I was just going to ask what what areas do you invest in you know most most investors a classic thing so people only invest in things they feel like they have some sort of edge and um what what um what sectors do you look for for startups are you just doing tech are you just doing software as a service like the SaaS kind of stuff is it um yeah no we're all over local national i'm actually so far, I can't say this will be forever, but so far I'm going at it like 
John Wood as a financial advisor, I'm saying to my team and to our investor network that diversification is important. So we're not going to go after just uh, SaaS. We're not going to go after just deep tech or AI. I know there's plenty of VCs and and accelerators out there that that are that honed in and that niche. We are Mm -hmm. still going with the philosophy that diversification is important and we aren't smart enough to pick the exact uh, sector that's going to be the dominant one. So for instance, um, we start, we've got coffee shops. Uh, That's, there's very little to no tech. We've got uh, Linko Language Labs, which is um, SaaS, software as a service in, in language learning built for the classroom. So that's more of a B2B um, focus. Mm-hmm. And then we've got Reza Footwear. Reza Footwear is uh, IoT of wearables, so Internet of Things for wearables. And that's a very different play. There's tech for sure, but not like SaaS at all. Mm-hmm. Very different. Um and then we've got V1, which is an app builder. Uh, they they are uh, an app for building apps for people who don't know how to code. It's a no-code, low-code app builder, which is a pretty hot space. Um, definitely tech, high tech. And then we've got Halo uh, out of Indianapolis area. Halo is a community-based microfinancing company. They don't focus on tech, but they're using tech as their platform. They're, they're more of a fintech Um mm-hmm. And then the Advisor 2.0, which is a group that does um, gap assessments and consulting for financial advisors. So it's all over the board. We have not picked a sector yet. Nice. And so as um, so for our listeners specifically, we have uh, doctors, either doctors in training or a lot of times younger. And we're surprised at how many older physicians are listening to this, but it's across the board. Um, Getting into it, we talked a little bit about some of the downsides, but um, you would know Ruben more specifically. So let's say somebody has talked with their advisor and they're at a position where they can do something like this. They've got some discretionary income. A lot of questions that people might ask is, how much do I need to have to invest in a startup? Um, How do I do it? Where do I find it? Uh, so what are first steps for an investor who wants to and should, you know, or it's okay for them to get into this space? Yeah. First steps is is probably not going to be a, you know, suitable for someone who's still in residency or, you know, they've got to be accredited, an accredited investor, you know, household income of uh, what, what's the current rules? You're 200,000 plus. Yeah. And then. Um, Two years back to back. Yeah. Or a million. Yeah or a million of net worth of investable net worth. So we do make sure that they're accredited. Uh, we only work with accredited investors in these. And But for someone who's accredited and they've got the basics in place with their financial advisor, they've got their liquid money they need, they've got their retirement on track. I think this is a great alternative space to play in. And it's becoming, it's becoming more of a movement than it was even just a couple of years ago. It's like real estate used to be the only other alternative people knew about or wanted to look into. But right. then there's things like, you know, cryptocurrencies, of course, don't get Trevor going, right? But um, mm-hmm. startups, you know, there's, you're going to, you'll be surprised. I would not be surprised if there is a crypto uh, exchange or coin that is backed by venture capital at some point or something. There's, there's, mm-hmm. some, weird, there's some really interesting movements where venture capital, uh, I I think that by next end of next year you will see 
exchange traded funds, ETFs, or something similar that are all into early stage venture companies. Uh, I think it's going mainstream. So I think it's going to be, uh, be talked about more and more. But again, if you've got the basics in place, I think it's a great space. If you're working with someone who understands it, uh, not just don't just go out and throw your money around to everyone that pitches you because that's the typical problem we see doctors or other high net worth people make is that they'll just throw money at every, everybody that pitches them because they all sound good, right? Yep. But there is a process of picking them. There's a process of eliminating them, um, knowing who to make the bets on and, and how we can actively track, monitor their KPIs and how they're doing for a while before we invest in them. There is a good due diligence process we use. And we are starting to introduce it to more and more uh, financial advisors for their clients because it's a nice alternative investment with high impact. So especially your high net worth investors who want to know where their money's going and they want to have some impact, maybe it's social impact, maybe it's environmental impact, maybe they just love the idea of helping young, brilliant founders and entrepreneurs and they want to make a return, but they can speak with these founders and teams. They can advise these founders and teams. The investor can even use some of their background and expertise to influence their investment, which is a really neat thing. You can't do that when you throw your money at, you know, basic stocks, bonds in in the market. Yeah. Say that again. Say that one more time. Well, saying I'm saying that it's neat to be able to share with other financial advisors and their clients that you have the opportunity uh, mm-hmm. to in, do impact investing. We call it impact investing or because you, you can either pick the area you want to have an impact on with your money mm-hmm. or the person you want to have an impact on. And you have mm-hmm. a direct line of communication with the people running these companies because mm-hmm. they're early stage companies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you spe- feel like, like you have some influence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't, maybe you don't have voting rights. Maybe you don't have a lot of shares enough to have the influence, but these are early stage companies and founders and teams who value their investors and value the investors experience and credentials that any way that that can help them. Or even if it's just networking or introducing other investors, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of ways you as an investor can have an impact on your investment in this space. Mm -hmm. What I'm thinking about like your investors that invest in, um, these startups or, or really any, especially alternative assets, what percentage do you think of their motivation is just like that, um, that connection that like, cause it's got to feel a little bit more special, right. To be like investing in people who you've met and you've heard their story. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's so compelling. That that's why the SEC exists, right? Like right. there's the downside of these regulations where you have to have a certain amount of money or make a certain amount to be able to invest in specific types of investments and assets. And the Securities and Exchange Commission regulates all that. And it's supposedly, you know, to protect investors. And to a degree, it certainly has at times. Um, right now, it's kind of like laughably restrictive in some ways where you could be educated and you're still not allowed to invest your money. Um, and there's lots of people writing and talking about that sort of thing right now. But um, back to my first thought, what do you think? Does it, you think people get excited about it? I mean, it's part of it is the narrative, right? It's just like, it's fun. It's exciting. It's interesting. It's new. You're building something. Um, what percentage do you think is, is, is that part of it for investors? Like, yeah, 
Because it's definitely not 99% financial because they're looking for something else. It's 99% financial. Yeah, I agree. It's still, it's still highly, they are still highly interested in a return. I would say Mm -hmm. that the most of the network of investors we introduce to these, these startups and these investor, these investment opportunities, they're definitely motivated by return. Uh, But I'd say it's more, you know, whereas in the, if they're throwing money in the stock market with their financial advisor, that's like 99 to 100% all they care about is return, right? Because they don't know anything mm-hmm. about where the money's invested or what it's doing or what company. But in this case, care. I'd right. say it's probably more 80-20, like the 80% they're doing it because they want a chance mm-hmm. at a higher return in something. But 20% at least is about, they love the fact that they've got that they get that investor update monthly from their from the company they're invested in. They get to see what this company's doing. They could come sit down with the team and meet with them. And they, they're very close to them and they can see the impact that their money is having much better than you can in traditional investments. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, which, which makes communication by founders critical. Yeah, and I was just on a call last week with a small investment group, a group of uh, retired guys and ladies that came together with some money and they threw together about a million bucks of their money. And that's a group I would say they are more like 50-50, like they 50% care about return and the other 50% was about social impact. They specifically wanted me to only introduce them to social impact. So they came in and invested, uh, matched us on some investment with Halo because Halo has a very clear social impact. They're, they're fighting off the predatory payday lenders for underserved markets, underserved people who don't have access to capital. That's a social movement. And so this company was specifically, this group was specifically attracted for that reason. Um, what, uh, that's interesting. So are there places to go? Um, I don't know. I mean, with, it seems like with, there's a lot of now online places to invest in a real estate syndication or, um, private placements or limited partnerships or things like that. Are there places to go for startups like this? Yeah. Yeah. More than people realize, and it's happening fast. There's more and more of it coming out, but uh, a easy place to start is like angel list, uh, go to angel list and okay. angel list runs syndicates. You can lead a syndicate there and use them as a platform, or you can join a syndicate there and get in for as little as I think $2,500. Um, that still requires you to be accredited, but there's also, you know, of course, crowdfunding crowdfunding is where they kind of let Anybody, if they broke the Reg D issue and let anybody be a somewhat of a angel investor through crowdfunding campaign like Kickstarter, yeah. But there's several out there. AngelList is a popular one. Uh, if you don't, if they're not connected with a group like us who tee up the deals and do the mm-hmm. due diligence, we're in some ways we are like a syndicate. We just haven't formalized it because we're teeing them up. We're doing the deal flow. We're doing the due diligence. Um, we're most likely investing ourselves before we even present it to investors. Yeah. And by the time we're presenting it to investors, it's their, their people in our network. It's like a syndicate, you know, we're, yeah. we're generally dealing with minimum checks of 25,000. Whereas 
you, you could go into AngelList and get in a small syndicate for twenty five hundred dollars. Okay. But you you make a commitment. So as an investor, you're making a to be in a syndicate, you have to make some sort of a commitment that you know I will make ten investments in the next twenty four months at twenty five hundred each or something. Hmm, okay. I see. And um, so what kind of, can you give us some kind of success stories? Again, in the last episode, we talked a little bit about the, some of the downsides and things, but I'd love to hear from you as you look back over the last several years of getting into the angel investing, whether it was with Wave doing some of the consulting piece um, or you individually investing or whatever the case might be, or just things you've seen do you have any success stories that you can point out to and say here's here's where it was done well and it worked out well and uh right yeah well like i said my first one was a bust and that that's probably normal and you don't Uh when you just impulsively invest in the first one you see and it sounded cool and it was i was out in denver and i think we were having some whiskey and i met the founder and i said yeah i'm in um that one didn't work out so well but uh i would say (laughs) statistically actually that company is still going so it's still a chance Uh, my money is still invested in an active company they just have never learned how to build a team or expand to beyond denver and they're a they're uber type company for moving stuff instead of people so it's on demand moving light uh, light moves like your apartment furniture or whatever but anyways, I love the concept and now other companies, competitors have started to scale across the country, but this one hasn't. I, I just chose the wrong one, not the wrong, not the wrong idea, just the wrong one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, statistically, the way you look at these is if you, for every 10 you invest in, and I tell people um, diversification is important. And I tell people that doing more than doing enough of them is important because there is a bit of a numbers game here. Um, now we by working closely with these companies, we can um, eliminate some of that numbers game or we can, you know, optimize it to our advantage. But in general, you need to be prepared to get into about 10 of them. If you're going to play the game at all, it's kind of like real estate, you know, don't go start getting into real estate. If you're just going to get either, either stop with one or two that you can manage or go to like 30 or 40 where you can hire a manager. Yeah. Yeah. but in this, I think you can get stuck in, you know, if you get into two or three, you could have easily picked two or three bad ones. If you go to 10 and you're being pretty smart or you're working with a syndicate, there's a pretty statistically, there's a chance that in 10, you're going to have three or four complete busts. Um, two or three are going to be just break even on your money. Uh, and then you're looking for, you know, one that could be a three to five X your money. And you're looking for that one shining star. That's going to give you 10 X plus on your money that makes up for the losers. And, and I tell people, you know, compared to traditional investments where you're trying to double your money about every eight to 10 years in the markets, um, this should be something that because of the higher risk, higher reward profile, Mm -hmm. you should be looking to three to four times your money. If you play it right about every every 10 years. Okay. Um, otherwise that extra risk isn't worth it. Right. If you could just, if, yeah, right, if you were right. just, what could we do in the stock market over 10 years or the S and P right. Yeah. And if you get, if you get really good at it, you know, you're looking to, you're looking to five, five to 10 X your money overall. Then there's definitely angel investors and good VCs who 
would say, you know, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think I could 10 times every dollar I put in. Hmm. Yeah. And that's where the, that's where the risk reward, once you get good at it, like anything, right. you reduce the, mitigate the risk side and optimize the reward side. I, I know people who have gotten really good at it like that. Of course. <clears throat> yeah. A good, good resource would be uh, Jason Calcanis's book, Angel Investing. Yeah. Jason Calcanis is known as one of the greatest, you know, most accomplished angel investors in the world. And hmm. his, his book, Angel Investing, kind of shows the numbers and how you can literally go at it like it's your job. He's had people quit their jobs and go at angel investing full time by following his, his program. Wow. I listen to his podcast, the All In podcast. Yeah, yeah. He, and, uh, it's funny because they all make fun of him, kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like definitely big in the angel world. Like he can take it. He's pretty, pretty arrogant and pretty successful. I think he can take it. <laughs> yeah, he can handle it. But it's just funny. It's it's a great podcast. Listening to people just like like rip on each other that are like good yeah. friends and also. I mean, they can take it, but they're all, all four of them are like sensitive to a degree as well, which is really interesting. You can hear it when they talk about different things, for how accomplished they are and how wealthy they are. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They care. They still. Yeah. Oh, it's funny. Calcanus, Calcanus, even reading his book, you can, even when you read his book, you can see where his uh, strengths and insecurities are. Like you can feel it in the book. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> um, Trevor, any last questions? No, Ruben, thank you so much for your time. Um, yeah. It's great to learn from you and, and your experience in this area. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, I'll be sending yeah. you both some pitch decks after this, and I expect your investments to come wired through. And... That's right. <laughs> yes, obviously, let's preface Absolutely. All this. this is not a... Uh, solicitation to invest or purchase in any startup or any syndication of any kind or securities. Yeah. We're not, not individual investment advice. <laughs> and this is completely unsuitable for 99% of people. And you are very likely to lose every dollar you put into startups. That's right. Yeah. And we are not specifically endorsing Washington Avenue ventures and we have no formal financial relationship with them at all. Um, there you go. But, Got your disclosures out there. <laughs> Ruben, if someone wants to learn more about wave for Washington Avenue ventures, where can they go? I uh, mean, either through you, they can get connected to me through you or mm-hmm. uh, on our website, Washington, uh, WA.Ventures, WA.Ventures. Awesome. Well, we may have some doctors in the crowd listening that have a startup. Uh, maybe there's a, a device or something that uh, we see that quite a bit um, over the years. So um, Cool. Well, thanks so much for joining us, guys, Trevor and Ruben. Uh, This has been super great. It's been uh, a different dynamic having a third person in here and hopefully a nice, refreshing change for our listeners who are probably tired of hearing just John and Trevor all the time. But um, for those of you who love just John and Trevor, stick around. The next episode will be that again. So we're not necessarily doing away with that, but I think we'll we'll bring some more guests on to mix things up a little bit and uh, makes us have to talk a little bit less, which is nice. So well, um, let me know any input your feedback you get if there is more interest in diving deeper into this world at all. I'm happy to do it. Yeah, that would be great. And we are um 
we love to to learn more about this stuff and just be a resource. So um, for any of you physicians out there listening, again, we'll be posting um, more resources that Ruben has talked about. And as we get more articles and things like we always do on the Financial MD community, which is a Facebook group. Um, and then we keep things updated through our social media, through Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter, and uh, TikTok. So with that, you guys have a great week. And we'll see you next time here in the Financial MD Show. Thanks for joining us for another Financial MD Show. Be sure to head over to FinancialMD.com to get more in-depth resources on financial tips for physicians. And don't forget to join the Financial MD Community Group on Facebook, where physicians at all stages of their career gather to share tips and get ideas on achieving true financial success. We'll see you next time. The Financial MD Show is for informational purposes only and is not an offer to invest, is not financial, tax, or legal advice. Be sure to seek financial, legal, or tax professionals when making any financial decisions. Before investing, you should make sure that any investment strategy or investment meets your individual investment needs, goals, and objectives. Financial MD makes no claims or guarantees to individual investment performance. All investing involves the risk of loss as well as the potential for gain.